Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now Another blizzard struck Boston, closing schools. But the cleanup was fast, and we were back at work the next day, except for those who depended on the broken-down tea. The snow had obliterated my walking path to the school, so now I was driving there. That morning, as I crossed campus on my way to the studio, I checked out the Kreutzer Sonata from the library and proceeded to read it during my free periods. By the end of the day, I had finished it and felt disturbed by the portrayal of male jealousy. The protagonist's crazed mind was an extreme, but some of his rants reminded me of Rod. And so did the way the couple always made up, as if licking their wounds by making love. At home, I put the book on the coffee table, hoping Rod would pick it up during his nightly internet browsing. I had underlined one sentence for Rod to see. After the most cruel words to one another came sudden silent glances, smiles, kisses, embraces. But a week went by and Rod never touched the book. Or if he did, he was ultra careful to make it look like he hadn't noticed it. So I returned the book to the library, a little disappointed that the Kreutzer Sonata's insights weren't going to improve our own pattern of friction followed by passionate love. February days went by as we coped with more snow and frigid temperatures. But then one morning in the middle of the month, as I crossed the campus to work, I heard birds chirping and felt the faintest rays of sun touching my face. Spring was on its way. I just felt a sign of it. But my cheered spirits didn't last long because an email from Lori awaited me, requesting to see her first thing. I waited on the bench outside her office until she was free and spent the long minutes gazing at my seventh grader's monoprints hanging on the wall. We had watched YouTube videos on printing techniques just as my upper school class had watched famous artists teaching figure drawing. And today would be our first class with a live, nude model. Anita's phone rang, and I heard Lori's voice through the speaker. Tell Pia to come in. Like a guilty schoolgirl, I entered her office. Sit down, Pia. She rolled her special chair to the table as I seated myself. I'd like to get right to the reason for calling you in. You need to know that your situation here has become serious, and unfortunately you're going to be on faculty probation until April, when I'll reassess your performance and decide if we'll have a place for you next year. I was stunned. My heart hammered rapidly in my throat. An aura of horror and unreality engulfed me. I was being fired, but with a setup to make it airtight. Here's the document I've prepared. It cites your areas of weakness. What? What caused? Your actions continued to show poor judgment. I found it shocking, and so did Dale, that you would tell Mr. Wu I refused to authorize a field trip to Goya. What? I never said that. Did Mr. Wu tell you I said that? I need to ask him what he said because I know for sure I never said that. I don't think you should bother Mr. Wu with your situation. He's our most important parent. That would be another example of your poor judgment. But if it's something that's been misinterpreted, the probation stands no matter what. The field trip is just one of the numerous incidents where you've not met our standards, and you've had enough time to get a feel for Haskell, but unfortunately, the fit isn't right. 
Shockwaves were still rippling through me. It was useless to argue with her, but I would not go down without a fight. I took her two-page letter listing my inadequacies and left. I did not say goodbye. She had declared war on me, and I intended to stand up for justice. I pounded up the old wood stairs to Wafa's office, just above Lori's, and hoped Lori could hear where my feet were taking me. I wanted her to worry about what I might be saying to Wafa. Hey, Pia, how are you? I never see you. Totally my fault, I know, and I keep postponing those parties I promised to have. Wait till you have kids. I handed her Lori's letter. Uh Uh-oh, what'd the bitch do now? Have a seat. I sat down as she read the letter. First page one, then page two. What the hell? This is total bullshit. She can't get away with this. She can. And there aren't any jobs out there. I've been looking. Well, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to protest. We're going to picket her office. At this point, I want it to happen. I can't take another year of her. No kidding. I feel the same. And between us, I've been looking too. She handed back the letter. You know, I heard something and I bet it relates to your case. What? Tian was here for a meeting last week and pledged a huge gift to the school, but he said it had to be for a new art building named after his wife. She was an artist. So how did that affect me? Well, think about it. Lori's been bellyaching for months about wanting a complete redo for this building, her space. So if Tian's gift goes to your art studio, then she has you to blame. (laughs) I bet that's it. But wait, who's more powerful in the end? Maybe Tian can save your job. Forget it. But I do plan to ask him what he said to Lori about the Goya trip. Do you have his number? Yep. She pulled it up on her computer, and I copied it down on Lori's letter like a desecration. A few minutes later, I was heading back to the studio and texting Tian at the same time. Could I call you today? Sure, but I'll be at the school this afternoon. I could stop by in person. Okay, I have a class till four. Perfect. I'll come by then. The rest of the day went by in a rote way for me, as I slowly digested the latest threat in my professional life. I was counting the hours till seeing Tian and finding out what he really said to Lori. My portrait of Rod stood in the corner, ready to take home. It gave me a bit of consolation, not because of Rod's proximity, but because the sight of my work boosted my morale. The figure drawing class at the end of the day also rewarded me. Our live model changed poses on a rug, the kids' easel surrounding her. Luckily, a class with a model had been part of the curriculum since the 1970s, so I didn't have to worry about Lori condemning me for exposing high school students to a nude body. I loved watching them work and moved about offering tips. Look at the detail of the pose. Really, really look. Try to get the measurements right. You can worry later about putting your own stamp on your work. For now, practice is our goal. Practice with the eye. If you look closely, you'll be able to understand your subject. It was remarkable how their drawings got better with each pose and how they could see their improvement. They were totally absorbed in their work, and it pleased me they felt comfortable as artists, regardless of their degree of native talent. After the class, Charles stayed behind to help me put the furniture back. Then we selected some drawings for the front hall. Then Charles left and Tian came in, bringing a draft of cold air with him. Can you believe it? More snow's coming! (laughs) Oh, you've painted Rod. That's really something. You like it? Oh, yeah, it just it's just burning up with, I think it'll blow right off the canvas. <laughs> then I got him right. You know, you two aren't at all alike. In fact, you're incongruous. <laughs> 
incongruous. But isn't that the way it always is? No. I mean, opposites attract. Opposites in some way, like quiet versus sociable. Well, I learned a lot painting it. And thanks for your coming by. I'll get right to the point. I've more or less been given notice here. What? Why? Boss problems. Oh, I can guess who your boss is. Yeah, well, today she said I'd complained to you about not being able to go on a field trip to Goya. What? You must be kidding. And this conversation has to be confidential. Goes without saying, but... Pia, I'm shocked, appalled, especially as she has involved me in her manipulation. Can we go for coffee? Talk off campus? I'd better not. I'm being watched. Huh. That's absurd. But I'd love to another time. Good. I'll hold you to that. And here's what I think. I offered the school a new art building. My wife Sue was a gifted fiber artist, and I'd like something to honor her here in this country. Was that her work in your solarium? Yes, so you saw it. It was beautiful. Lori actually argued that the school needed the mansion renovated more than the new art studio. It irritated me after I had just offered a substantial gift. I told her I wanted to fund art, not only to honor Sue, but to advance the outstanding art curriculum with more space and equipment. I guess I added that my gift would include an endowment for museum trips for shows like Goya. I wonder what I can do now to set the record straight. Oh, it would only make things worse. I think you're right, but you never know. There might be something. In the meantime, could I possibly convince you to paint my portrait? I know I'm not as interesting as him. He pointed to Rod bursting from my tall canvas. I'd love to paint you. Good. And just so you know, Charles painted May, and that's why I never got back to you about a portrait of her. Did you see it? No, he, he didn't paint it here. No? Then I guess they used the apartment while I was in China. Hmm, that's a little scary. So, thanks for filling me in on all the school politics, and I'm truly sorry if my meeting impacted your job. Not to worry. I've been dealing with this since day one, but... For my own peace of mind, I wanted to know what really happened, so thanks. And also for being such a great parent at the school. We moved to the door, said our goodbyes, and agreed to be in touch about sittings for his portrait. I zinged inside after he left. I felt a bit in love with him, or at least the fluttering sensation of attraction. <laughs> and how funny it was to be feeling those thrills just as I was taking home my portrait of Rod. You're incongruous, Tian had said. Had he really said that? <laughs> Was he already a rival? And now I would be painting him, and the prospect of seeing him again was more exciting than going home to Rod. My parking lot was still like the inside of an igloo with snow plowed to great heights on all sides. I texted Rod before I unloaded the car. I have a surprise for you. Could you please go in the bedroom for a few minutes? Sure. Uh, what is it? Do you have the portrait? Wait and see. I hoisted the awkward canvas up the stairs and let myself into the apartment. I propped the painting against the wall facing the bedroom so that Rod would see it as soon as he opened the door. 
Up close, my brushstrokes didn't reveal the nuances of the man's fierce expression, but from a few feet away, they had the effect of a stun gun. Ready? The door whooshed open and I held my breath while staring at the painting as if seeing it through his eyes. He slowly moved closer, as if encountering an alien. It's me. Yeah, do you like it? Yes, good-looking dude. Uh, but... But what? Do, do I really scowl like that? It's a portrait inspired by you. It's about personality and character, and also composition, color, technique. Where should we put it? It's huge. <laughs> That's because you're huge, darling. I went up to him and wrapped my arms around his waist. I hope that translates into huge in your heart, huge in your life. I squeezed him hard, even though I knew he preferred words as an answer. We spent the rest of the evening with the portrait for company. Now there were three of us in the apartment, and the colossal rod couldn't be ignored. He lorded over us with his glare and his physical tension, but I knew in time he would blend into the walls and become all but forgotten. When we nestled under the covers that night and darkness became our aid for intimate conversation, he said, hey, why'd you paint me in those ripped up jeans? They say something about the man. Oh, so he's the man? That's how you think of him? Yeah, he's the guy in the portrait. You mean you don't see him as me? I do. It's a portrait of you, but he's also got his own self. Didn't you feel like we had a guest in the house tonight watching us? Yeah, it was a little unnerving. And you're right, he's got a separate existence, but I wish his jeans weren't ripped, if he's me. But Rod, you get up every day of your life and put on ripped up jeans. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want your portrait to show your chosen identity? Because it's my portrait. He snuggled closer to me, his voice tender, full of emotion. I love you, Pia, and I want to marry you. Will you marry me? The words felt like a blow. Sure, we had talked about a life together, but this was a serious proposal, and I wasn't prepared to say yes. Maybe. That's a bad answer. I want you to be overjoyed that we might spend our lives together. It's only been five months. That's long enough to know, and I'm the one taking the most risks. I know you are. I'm giving up most of my space and belongings to live with you in the crowded city, so it would be nice to know you felt the same commitment. A lot of thoughts crisscrossed in my head. I loved our intimacy when it happened. I hated our stupid fights. I longed to have kids, and I was turning 30 in June. He was smart, talented, and good-looking. I felt safe with him. Yeah, because of his money. And he could afford living near the red line. With my job going down the tubes, he was a safety net till I found a new one. But could I risk marriage with him? What about his blue-collar mentality and my fierce independence? If we married, he might throw a lasso over me. He might dictate how we furnished our home, how we spent our free time, or worse, how we raised the kids. He might even control how I spent money, how often I went out, and who I saw. I closed my eyes and let my fears dissipate. I let the pull of sensuality, future children in my arms, and financial security envelop me. I heard my voice coming from the ceiling above our bed, completely detached from me. I'm committed. Thank you. 
No matter what happens now, we won't turn back. We've sealed our commitment. We're, we're getting married. We're engaged now. Together till eternity. We can shop for a ring. That's okay. I don't wear rings. I have to give you something to prove my love. Our love doesn't need any proof. I know, but can you just indulge me? I'd like to see you wearing something that I gave you that shows our commitment. As long as you don't feel like you own me. I don't. I wouldn't. I don't have anything to give you for proof. You already did, sweetie. The portrait. You couldn't have painted that guy without really wanting him. That's true. But I didn't add that the man in the portrait couldn't talk or argue. He was just there to be looked at. I kissed Rod, and his satisfied words came against my cheek. You are my future. March arrived, and Boston's worst winter in decades became history. But out in the greater world, horrific crimes against humanity, committed by humanity, continued. Graphic videos were our main source of news, and they bombarded us. Even so, daily life went on with its petty ups and downs. One day, when terrorists set fire to a prisoner inside a cage, I said to Rod, Have you noticed how we forget all these horrible things by the next day? Yup, we're moving at breakneck speed. But we don't have time to reflect. We're heading straight into the twilight zone. It's like the world's in a huge centrifuge, and all of a sudden, we're going to fling out wildly into the universe. Yup, we always knew that was our fate. Destruction by self-destruction. We'll be a wasted planet, our history erased. Live while you can. And that's what we did. Food was on the table, a roof was over our heads, and we went to work. At school, March symbolized more than melting ice and moist, dewy air. Spring vacation loomed with enticement. And right after it, nonstop events and festivities filled the school schedule till early June. Wafa's art fest was in the heat of preparation, and her college interns scurried about campus, helping with publicity and arrangements. With spring fever competing for our attention, Rod's business boomed. All the potholes in the roads needed resurfacing, and New England's dozens of historic sites needed their brick and stone pavements surrounding monuments repaired. The devastating winter meant a great year for Tucker paving. In the evenings, Rod continued to shop for condos near the Red Line, but he also began to show me other listings. Why don't we take a look at this place in East Boston, just for the hell of it? It's the next place to invest, like Soho in the 70s. I don't know. I want to be in town. Once you're there, you'll realize how important the red line is. Then he showed me a 1960s ranch house in Wessex. Don't you love this? No, I don't. You know I don't want to live in the burbs, so why are you bothering to look at that? Because sometimes I think how nice it would be to see green grass in front of the house and have all my tools in the garage so I can tinker with my bikes. And besides, the burbs are a lot cheaper. It had only been a month, but... Ever since my commitment to marry him, he had become noticeably tighter with money. I realized it could be his worry about the Cohasset lawsuit, but my instincts told me I was getting a taste of the future. A few incidents occurred. He no longer jumped gallantly in front of me to pay for our movie tickets or to fill my car with gas. He now let me pay my share of our dinners out. Then, one night, sitting side by side on the couch with our laptops, planning spring vacation at my parents in Baltimore— he found the best fare first and waited while I got to the same website to purchase our tickets separately, but still select seats together. When the deal was done, he said, I guess I should have ordered for both of us. Slipped my mind. The real shocker came on a Saturday when I was driving us to his tennis club. Shall we stop for coffee? I asked. Definitely. 
He got out his wallet to count his usual wad. Then he pushed it back into his front pocket on my side. At Bobley's, Janice rang us up. She had changed her henna hair to green and pink stripes. Five dollars, she said. Oops, <laughs> I left my wallet in the car, Rod said. My hand automatically moved to touch his front pocket where I'd seen him put his wallet, but he jumped back and slapped his own hand on it. Oh, I do have it. Here, I said, almost throwing my share in his face. That should cover mine. He accepted the bills, but I could tell by his blush that he knew I was aware of his lie. His behavior about nickel and diming me was reducing him in my eyes. But I was still clinging to our dreams of living in Boston, sharing cultural life, maybe even owning an art gallery, and one day having children. I let myself be blind, and our daily lives went on. We even planned an engagement party in April and made a list of friends to invite, mostly from my school, as Rod's only friend in the area was Wyatt. We told our families our wedding date was set for October, as we expected to be settled in town by then. Rod regularly reassured me, You don't have to worry. I can carry us both till you find a new job. All through these vicissitudes with Rod, I was thinking a lot about Tian, partly because his portrait was in the works and he had offered me $3,500, a fortune in my world. Our first sitting was coming up. Naturally, Rod wasn't happy about it. It was a date with another man. I'd rather pay you the 3500 if that's what you want. No, I want to paint. I want my career. I want fulfillment. Isn't our love enough fulfillment for you? It is for me. Yes, it's important, but everyone also needs work they love, even if only a few of us get that privilege. I have to tell you how I feel. I'm very sad. I know the Chinaman wants you. Please do not call him that, or anyone. Why? I'm an American, he's a Chinaman. Because it's a derogatory term in our culture. Because we made it a racist term during the gold rush. I can never win with you. I'm not trying to win. Except you're winning the commission, even though you know it hurts me deeply. You need to think about us in the future. Are you going to feel this way about every guy I paint? Is it going to hurt you and punish me? I think you have to accept that my work involves being with other guys. Have it your way. But his dejection shut me out, and I didn't know how long it would last. So, without Rod's sanction of my work, I left for Tian's on a bleak and windy Sunday in early March. After parking my car in the Boston Common Garage, I trekked up Beacon Street with my big sketch pad under my arm. We want to thank you for listening to episode 14 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spillsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Redline.